Welcome to Matthew Felix On Air, coming to you from San Francisco, California. People who create, people who make a difference. Hope you had a great week. Uh, the 11-11 launch date for my new book, Porcelain Travels, is fast approaching, so not surprisingly, I have a lot to do between now and then. The easiest way to describe Porcelain Travels is with the subtitle, uh, which is Humor, Horror, and Revelation, In, On, and Around toilets, tubs, and showers. Now, the stories take place all over from Paris to the West Bank to Arizona, and uh, some of them are along the lines of what you might expect, given the title, but oftentimes the bathroom only plays sort of a supporting role. And uh, some of the stories are funny, a few of them are probably shocking, and uh, hopefully they're all entertaining, but of course I will let you be the judge of that. Next week, Sunday, 11-4, I'm going to do, um, the week before the book comes out, I'm going to do an episode, this episode of this show is going to be just dedicated to introducing Porcelain Travels to the world, and I hope to really have a lot of fun with that episode, probably humiliate myself a little bit, so please check in next Sunday, or tune in next Sunday uh, to my show for that, to learn about my new book. Given all my lunch preparation, imagine my surprise when a friend told me that she had already pre-ordered my book, and I didn't even know it was available, and I said, how, you, it's not possible. You couldn't have pre-ordered my book. It's not out there. Well, it turns out the book is on Amazon. It's on uh, Barnes & Noble. It's on, I'm sure, several other uh, retailers as well. I didn't realize that. I'm using a new uh, a new service this time around. So, so that's great. So if you want to pre-order, obviously, uh, that would make me really happy. So feel free to pre-order. If you live in the Bay, or, Bay Area, please come by my, uh, my first event for my book, which is going to be on Monday, November 12th, and it's going to take place at the Book Passage in the San Francisco Ferry Building. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it, and, of course, I would love to see you there. Before we jump into today's show, I would like to mention some great upcoming shows that, uh, that are going to take place. Like I said, next week is all about my new book, Porcelain Travels. But the following week, Linda Watanabe McFerrin will be on my show. And I've wanted to have Linda on forever. She is a very accomplished novelist, poet, teacher, San Francisco Chronicle, former uh, book reviewer, founder of Left Coast Writers, and much, much more. She's also just a great person all around. And uh, she also happens to be the person who I workshopped my new book with. That's coincidence. Like I said, I've wanted to have her on for, for a long time. And uh, besides, we're not going to talk about my book on that episode, other than in the intro, of course. Uh, but we're going to talk about a new book she has coming out, which is an anthology of, of all her writings. And like I said, she's done so much novels, essays, poetry. Um, so we're going to talk about her new anthology and lots of other stuff. On 11.18, Savani Babu is going to be on to talk about dark sky conservation, which I'm really, really curious to learn more about. And then on 11.25, so I guess that would be three-ish weeks from now, uh, no, what's today? Almost a month from now. I guess that's four weeks from now. Whatever it is. Uh, I'm excited to have someone on the show that I just met last week at a Litquake, Litquake event. And his name is Willem Boot. And he's the founder of Boot Coffee. And I saw him in conversation with author Dave Eggers at Dave's Litquake event to talk about his book, uh, Monk of Mocha. And uh, Willem is a coffee expert who has advised coffee companies, coffee associations, development banks, and governments around the world. So he is clearly the guy to talk to about coffee. And I've wanted to have someone on the show to talk about coffee for a long time and almost had a couple different people on it. It just never worked out. I saw Willem speak, and I was like, he's the guy that I want to have on. But, of course, I didn't know if he would agree, and he agreed. So uh, I'm really excited, really excited to have him on. I think that's going to be a really interesting show. So lots to look forward to. Right now, though, I'm looking forward to talking to Anne Sigmund, so let's get to it. Anne Sigmund flunked jump rope in seventh grade, just heartbreaking, and washed out of college PE, 
exotic travel was the stuff of dreams for a klutzy bookworm like her until she married Jack and embraced the world of adventure travel, taking tea with Ernst Weil headhunters in Borneo, bunking with the Stone Age tribe in pa Papua New Guinea, and climbing Kil Mount Kilimanjaro. But at 48 years old, Anne suffered a stroke caused by a little-known autoimmune disease. Now she's stuck with blood thinners and a damaged brain, but she's still traveling to remote regions of the world from Burma to Iran, from Syria to Uzbekistan, and beyond. On her website, junglepants.com, she writes about her ups and downs as an adventure traveler with health concerns. And on her author website, annsigmund.com, and with an E, by the way, she blogs about stroke, memory loss, and autoimmune disease. Anne is currently finishing a memoir, Scrambling Back, which I had the pleasure of reading prior to today's show and had trouble putting down. It's, it's a great memoir. I'm really looking forward to her getting this out into the world. Uh, but it's about su surviving stroke, about resuming travel to remo remote corners of the globe after, after the stroke, and, and again, lots more. Uh, she's won lots of awards for, for the already for the memoir, even though it hasn't been published yet, as well as her other work. And she's been published in Good Housekeeping, Stroke Connections, online on Good Housekeeping, the American Heart Association website, digital magazines, besttraveling.com, geox.com, Wanderlust and Lipstick, Southern Sampler, and on and on and on. And uh, she, her stories have appeared in 10 recent anthologies. So clearly, again, she is getting her work out there, and, um, and it's great work. So check her out. She lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with her husband and frequent travel companion, Jack Martin. Welcome, Anne. Thank you, Matthew. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, it is. It's wonderful to have you. I was very excited when you uh, when you said that you would be on the show, especially since the book's not out yet. And like I said, I feel privileged to have had the chance to to check it out before uh, before most of the rest of the world. So thanks again for that opportunity. But um, tell us about. I mean, like I said, it's just heartbreaking. You flunked out of jump rope. So how 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 is that possible? And how was that? I was such an uncoordinated kid uh -huh. I just had no coordination at all <clears throat> and I, seventh grade there it was this thing where you had these flipping and two different jump ropes and I just couldn't do it I couldn't do it I, there were a lot of things I couldn't do okay um, you know couldn't play tennis couldn't I I was the kid who didn't get picked for the you know the sandlot team, you know, and kickball team and whatever team. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I just learned stay away from it, you know, just stay <laughs> real away from that stuff. Right, right. So how does someone uh, you might not you might not have you might have washed out of college PE, but clearly you have stamina because you managed to typing 15 words a minute. And we're going to talk more about that. You managed nonetheless to write a 70,000 word memoir. So <laughs> how does someone pull that off? Uh just bird by bird, as yeah. Anne Lamott famously said, just, you know, picking away, picking away, picking away, and, and having lots of encouragement, lots of encouragement from the writing community. Right. You, you mentioned Linda, who yep. is, I've been working with Linda for years, and she's had so much faith in me in this book, and she's been a, you know, an encouragement and, you know, a kick in the pants when necessary, and yeah. She knows the right balance between encouraging and kicking. Yes, Lovingly yes. kicking in the pants. That's right. So um, why write the book? I didn't start out. I started writing after the stroke as a form of therapy, trying to get my use of words back. And I went, in, I went to um, 
an essay cast, I had a wonderful speech therapist who suggested going to a class. So I did after, you know, after she'd done about as much as she could do. And I didn't think I was going to write about the stroke, but that's just what came up. Mm -hmm. And um, I wanted to write about, um, there were, my stroke was caused by some risk factors that especially affect women that most women don't know about, especially at that time. And we'll talk about those later, but I wanted to get that word out. And once I got the Good Housekeeping piece published, which talked about what happened the morning of the stroke, um, you know, then I, I just went on and it turned out to be a book and it's taken me 15 years. 15 years. 15 okay. years. Yeah, yeah. Well, my novel took 10, so that's maybe a little longer, but I mean, it, these things do take that long. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Okay. So, um, so let's not assume that everyone knows what stroke is. I mean, it's just, you know, we throw the term out there and I think everyone probably knows someone that's had to because it's so common, but can you tell us sort of specifically what is a stroke? It's when part of the brain can't get oxygen mm-hmm. and the mo- by far the most common um, stroke called ischemic is when is caused by a blood clot so okay. there's a vessel in the brain that gets stuck and so this the cells can't get oxygen right and that is what causes the immediate f- effects and it and depending on how bad it is what can uh, result in the long-term effects. Right, and then there's another type of stroke yes, as well. Yes, that's called hemorrhagic, and that's when a vessel bleeds. Okay, and and um, that's that can be the, the, all strokes can be devastating, but that that's really hard. And and that's that, were the worst of the two. I uh, I forget the statistics, but um, they're r- relatively rare. Okay, and you 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 just pointed out a second ago that um, we talk about the the symptoms for women can can be different um you talk about in your book i just thought this was interesting because we know about um inability to speak um you know numbness dizziness those are some of the common symptoms but you you talk about in your book i just thought this was interesting that stroke in women is different this is a quote from lynn goddess Mm -hmm. and she said in your book stroke in women is different sometimes not even recognized in the er Things like nausea, chest pain. Most people don't even know the common symptoms of stroke, like slurred speech. They don't know how crucial it is to get to the ER fast. They don't know about TPA, which we're going to talk about, which is a drug, an anti-clotting drug. But just a few statistics that I found on Wikipedia, because I love Wikipedia, and it just kind of adds some perspective, right? So in 2013, approximately 6.9 million people had an ischemic, ischemic? Ischemic. Ischemic stroke. 3.4 million people had a hemorrhagic. 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 Okay, you're going to say those two words for me every time they come up in this conversation. Uh, so, yeah, so 6.9 to 3.4. So that kind of, that's at least in 2013. Then in 2015, there were about 42.4 million people who had previously had a stroke and were still alive. 42.4 million. Mm-hmm. Um, between 1990 and 2010, the number of strokes which occurred each year decreased by 10% in the developing, in the developed world, mm-hmm. increased by 10% in the developing world. 2015, the last statistic that I'll share from Wikipedia, stroke was the second most frequent cause of death after coronary artery disease, accounting for 6.3 million deaths or 11% of the of the total deaths. So stroke is a big deal it's and it's really very, common. 
very big deal. It's very yep. common. Yep. Um, it's and and it, it's devastating. It's right. absolutely devastating. Right. So let's get now to your story, and mm-hmm. we're going to talk about some of the ways it's been devastating to you, and then we're also going to talk about a lot of ways you've you've moved beyond it to the extent that's possible. But before we talk about your specific story regarding uh, the stroke itself and what followed, tell us just a little bit about your life before uh, the morning of January 30th, 2002, just to give people sort of an idea. Oh, gosh. You know, I was kind of classic, 100 balls in the air, love to be doing, you know, eight things at once. Um, My husband and I, uh, I had worked um, for a big corporation uh, in marketing and public relations. And then um, my my husband and I went out on our own. We had a business. Um, And so I ran the business and had my own consulting clients. And we we traveled. That was it was great going out on our own. It was hard work, you know, working for yourself is actually, you put in more hours even, you know, than, than people who, you know, really work hard and put in extra hours. I you do know. know. Yes, I do uh, know. It's, it's, it's hard, but to, to a great extent or a greater extent, you control your calendar. And so we, we traveled, we, you know, my husband always said, look, let's go to the, the hard places while we, you know, while we're younger and we still can. And, right. you know, we can go to Europe and museums and stuff later. Well, you know, later kind of almost never came. And so we would be, we went to Borneo, we went to Papua New Guinea, we went to, um, oh, we just, you know, we went all over the place. Right, right. And each chapter in the book starts with a, a, an excerpt from your travel writing. So why did you decide to structure the the book that way? You know, that actually, Linda, we were struggling with how in a book about stroke does the reader get any idea about what it was like before. Right. Because you can't start a book about stroke way in advance. And so she thought it was just a way... um, to give some ideas about what life was like. And also, it was the kind of thing that I did think about. You know, I, I, I would actually, odd things would occur, and, and it would remind me of, of, of some things. Think, you know, odd things go through your mind when, right. you're, when you're ill. Right. And so I decided to, they're, they're just little snippets. Right. Right. And I, well, just for me, I think that it accomplishes what you wanted to accomplish because it does. It gives a bigger picture of, you know, the before and after and kind of how it all relates. So and plus they're just good snippets. I mean, in and of themselves, they're nice little stories of, you know, some of your experiences and what um, how you were often pushing your limits and how Jack's kind of saying, no, you can do this. And you're like, oh, you're I can do this. I'm not necessarily always <laughs> Feeling like going to the edge of this cliff, but okay. I guess if I get down all fours, it's okay. I can figure it out. And so there are some great, there's some great stories there. And um, are those, one thing I was wondering when I was reading uh, the book, are those all 
from full stories or did you write a lot of those snippets just as snippets because you do have your your travel writing all these other stories it's as a well mix. Yeah. some of them i wrote as snippets yeah. and now linda's saying we got to write and and i'm actually now working on a book of travel stories okay. and taking many of those and and fleshing them out okay all right good so that's something to look forward to as well all right, so let's talk about then, um, so that's kind of some context, some background, life before January 30th, 2002. Let's uh, go to the shower and the morning of that morning, and you're taking a shower, and what happens? So embarrassing if you have to have a stroke, you know, doing it in the shower. <laughs> I was thinking about a million things, and it was only I got out of the shower, and my hand is, you know, is like flapping around wow, what's that about? And, you know, I couldn't hold anything, couldn't hold a towel, couldn't reach for the deodorant. And then I, it, it was strange. I was trying to think of things, and it's almost like I was sitting on my shoulder. There was this part of my brain that was thinking and reasoning. And a part of another part of my brain was just not, and and I think that's really true. I think the, that's the way it works. Yeah. And after a while, I thought, well, maybe I need some help. And I remembered that Jack was out of town, but I had no idea where. Yep. And of course, I should know. Of course, I did know. Ordinarily. And yep. I thought, well, and I'm thinking, well, I don't want to bother anybody. You know, I don't want to make a big bother. And I'm thinking of a friend, and I thought of a friend who wor worked not not far, but I couldn't remember her name. I pictured her, you know, I pictured her hair, her face. I couldn't remember her name. Right. And I thought, okay, well, maybe if I go down to the computer, and I'm fortunate because my, my leg was not uh, impacted enough, I could walk. Mm -hmm. So I walked downstairs to the computer. I had my addresses, you know, were on a computer database. Sure. And I looked, and I knew, you know, go, go look at the computer database. I looked at the computer. I had no idea how to use it. I had no idea what one would do with it. You said you touched the screen. Yeah, just like, yeah. what what would one, and that was way before test screens, by right, the way. Right, 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 right. And then I was like, oh, well, maybe I do need to call someone. And I turned to the phone and I had no idea what the number would be. It's like, oh, emergency, it's a short number. Right. And I had no idea. But I'm old enough to remember, you know, my mother drilled into me as a kid, dial O. And yep. so I dialed O. Right. And oh, somebody answered, you know, it's like, now, who knows? And oh, she was a lifesaver. Yeah, literally. And and she said, uh, you know, can you tell me your address? I had no idea. Yeah. And so she traced the call and sent an ambulance. And they got there, these these two guys, and said, well, we think you're having a stroke. And it's like, no, of course not. I, You know, I'm young, I'm healthy. You know, I hiked. Because you were 48 at I the time. I was 48 at the time. And I I hiked. I, ha I had perfect blood pressure, perfect cholesterol. You know, I was a, a, you know, a nice weight. I had absolutely nothing. So it couldn't be a stroke. Yeah, so it couldn't be. It couldn't be a stroke. It, it couldn't be. Right. So they take you to the hospital. They took me to the hospital. And even once you get to the hospital, you still have this reaction of they're telling you, you know, we think you had a stroke. And even then, you think it's just not possible. It's not possible. Yeah. Yeah. And um, but then 
I'm assuming this might be one of the moments when it sort of registered weights. Maybe I did have a stroke or something's going on here because your husband shows up. And what happens when, when Jack shows up? Well, this is hours later. Okay. And um, by that time, the, they had um, called my new assistant and she'd called and, I ha- and there was a friend with me. And Jack shows up and I think I need to introduce. And I look at him and I know him. Right. And I have no idea what his name is. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God. How is this possible? How is this possible? Were you just mortified or yes. were you just confused? I was both. Both, but, yeah. But, but yeah. I, I'm a Southern girl. I was more <laughs> mortified. I mean, m- mortification came for Yeah. Right, right. It, it was It was awful. Right, right. So... Um, so it was that though when it started to sink in or when did you realize, okay, I probably, this is, this is what's going on. Well, the doctor said she thought it might've been a TIA, which is like a mini stroke that often, uh, symptoms will <clears throat> transient mean, you know, th- that the next day everything will be fine. Right. And so that's what we, you know, I was in, they, they kept me in the hospital because they need to, they needed to find out what this was about because there were no obvious there was no obvious reason this should right. have happened right um but you know uh, it it was it wasn't just transient it was not transient right. it was a stroke right so it turns out it was a stroke and um one of the things that you end up reading i'm going to just jump ahead for a second and you didn't know this necessarily at the time but um that you need to start therapy right away. And one yes. of the statistics that you end up when you start doing the research, like I said, you didn't necessarily know this, but was um, by a Dr. Berkman, and I don't have the, the name of the book. I have it later in my notes. But anyway, he said in the, in the book you're reading, quote, by the, end of the three mo- by the end of three months, 95% of stroke patients had achieved the most functional recovery they could ever hope for. So the clock was ticking, even though you didn't know that particular statistic at the time. So you had to get started right away with therapy. Right. Uh, and I'm curious, did you in the end that three months, and we're going to talk about some of the specifics of the therapy, but for you, did that three months statistic hold true? Is that when most of your recovery happened or? This is very important and something that I would say to people who have had a stroke. It is very important that you get started right away. Mm-hmm. And it's very important to not let shock and depression set you back Mm -hmm. I believed that and I I just said everything has to go to the side I I worked night and day I would not be deterred and it has later been proved that that is not exactly true yeah but it's you know it's largely true I within about six months you know your your re- recovery drastically slows mm-hmm. and within about a year that was most of it okay but i think the most important thing is to realize that time is memory mm-hmm. and the it, it doesn't stop at 3 months or 6 months or even a year you you can you can keep, keep it, right. you can keep on improving but start early because you'll have more to improve upon. Right. So tell me also what are you're getting therapy right away, but therapy for what? Okay. Specifically? I had two two kinds of therapy. I had a speech therapist who was phenomenal 
and I had, uh, and, and she was for um, speech, it's aphasia is not being able to uh, find words mm-hmm. and um, memory. Right. Apraxia is not being able to uh, pronounce words. Mm-hmm. And um, if I do a reading later, I won't try to uh, replicate, but my, I, I couldn't pronounce things. Sure. Um, in fact, the most scary thing about the stroke itself is when the operator answered and I realized that gibberish was coming out of my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was like, I had this whole scenario in my head and opened my mouth and start to speak. And it's like, Oh my God, she's going to think it's kids. It's right. Um, and so I had that. And then I had a separate therapist working on, they call it a a praxia of motion, but my hand was pretty useless and so I had a separate therapist for that okay and it sounds like the physical stuff was mostly your hand because that's what you talk about mostly M- mostly in the book. right yeah. uh, my my leg just a little bit not much okay um so uh, so you start therapy and um uh, which again you know you needed to do and good attitude in general but there were certain aspects of therapy that right off the bat you were not pleased with and you sort of pushed back on so first they bring a doll which we're going to talk about oh, yes. in a second um but you have an excerpt if you want to read that now right. where you talk about um some of the things they were having you do and you had some resistance to right it you know i'll have to say you do have to start small yeah and some of the things that they want you to do to regain dexterity dexterity are necessary right but sometimes you you do feel like you're being treated like a child. Right. And can I ask you when you read, you're going away from the mic? Can you, can you scoot over to me? But yeah, great. Thank all you. Right. Uh, we want, we want to be able to, to hear it all. Okay. All right. Go for so it. So this scene takes place about three weeks after the stroke. And Jack was traveling for work. And my sister Ellen had flown out from North Carolina to help. I was absolutely freaking out about this hand because. You know, once I could get a spoon to my mouth, the only thing I cared about was typing on the keyboard. Right. That is the only thing because I had to do that. I thought I was going to get back to work. Right. At my job. Right. Um, but the occupational therapist, Dina, uh, was resisting. So I had asked Ellen to back me up. So this scene. Ellen's your sister. My, yes, right. Right. So at Monday's therapy appointment, I jumped right in. Dina, we need to talk about typing. Let's focus on crafts first, she said. They can help you regain dexterity. Crafts? Do you like to knit? She (laughs) smiled. Uh, No. Crochet? No. Embroider? Embroidery? Yes. Dina leaned back, smiling. My sister covered her mouth with her hand. I couldn't help it. I laughed, a full-on snicker. I thought about the crude, embroidered pillows I'd sewn for my mother the year I graduated from college. Loose, hesitant stitches outlined crooked Christmas trees and sagging holiday bowls. That was the last time I'd touched a needle. Absolutely not. Well, what do you, what do you enjoy? What are your hobbies? Hiking? Photography, travel, adventure travel, writing at the computer. Well, 
she said. What about braiding? You could braid potholders. Yes. <laughs> I sat stock still, sucking air, looking first at Dina, then at my sister. Potholders? She wants me to braid potholders, ratty potholders, like the ones I made at Tanglewood Girl Scout Camp in 1963. I must have been wild-eyed as a New Guinea headhunter. My hands, both of them, reflectively balled into fists. The fight-or-flight syndrome wanted to fight. Right. So... I think that's really interesting because one is just, okay, this isn't me. I don't do potholders. I don't do crochet or whatever. But the other lesson there or, or sort of not lesson, but point there, I guess, is and you didn't necessarily get there. But where you were going is she didn't know how to help you type. That's kind of part of what was going on there. She it, didn't have they weren't set up for that. In fact, um, that's later in the story. They weren't. The, they were focused very narrowly on what um, the government Medicare defines as activities of daily living. Mm -hmm. And that's things like dressing, bathing, shopping, cooking. Um, in 2018, I know this was in 2018, no, but, but it, now I typing. Think it, I, I, I think it's still, I, I'm not still sure, not part but of it. I, I don't think it's still part of it. And I, I remember at the therapy office, you know, there was a mock kitchen, but you know, there was no, no office. office. Yep. And um, that's really too bad because every today, everybody at all all ages, you know, is, especially if you're a shut-in, you know, you need to keep in touch with the world. That's your window on the world. That, that's yep. your window on the world. Yeah. Okay. So quick question before we wrap up kind of the therapy part. And, of course, we could go on and on about that. But uh, so the therapy was mostly physical and, and speech. I'm just curious, and I didn't see anything about this in the book, and I think I know the answer, but I'm curious. Memory loss. That's not something we have therapy for. Either memory just kind of comes back or it doesn't, or is there some sort of therapy uh, that helps with that, with memory? That was covered in the speech therapy. Okay, so, so that's the, part of the, the speech therapy. Yeah, that was part of the speech therapy. Um, I'm, I'm for forgetting what we did. Perfect. Yeah, because <laughs> we're talking about memory. Yeah. We're talking about memory. Uh, yeah. I was so, so focused on words. On more on that part. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and math was part of that, too. And yep. I still can't add because I put so much effort into words and, and memory that I I figured I can always use a computer. I was going to say, that's what calculators and computers are for. That's okay. Right. So let's talk, because I think one of the, not one of the, because um, it really encompasses a lot of different aspects of this whole experience mm -hmm. is related to identity and yes. sense of self. And like you said, and the reason I had you talk about what was life like before, um, before the, the stroke is, you know, like you said, uh, I forget how you said it, but you're spinning 10 plates or 100 plates or whatever it is, and you're multitasking, you're doing all these things, overachiever, go, go, go. And all of a sudden you can't do that. Right. And so that impacts, of course, our sense of self. And, and that for me would obviously be one of the hardest aspects of, of this sort of experience. So I want to go back to the doll for a second. And I want to read a quote from your book about the doll. And the doll, again, was used in your therapy. And here's a quote from the book, quote, not a doll. Please don't tell me I'm supposed to play with a doll. By age 10, I'd already defected from dolls. Now I was faced with Terry's smiley faced Moppet. Great fun if you're a preschooler. Uh. Do you remember what you named the doll? 
beastie. Right. <laughs> so obviously, again, you're not into the doll. Um, and a lot of the challenges resulting from the stroke, obviously, are along those lines. Um, you also talk about you got a book um, uh, that was written at junior high level that describes how stroke, you know, just the different, the basics and the fundamentals, if you will, of stroke. And at first you say, you know, you resented the conde con condescension, but then you pick it up and you start realizing it and you realize you have to work to read it because that's right. just wh where you are. Um, so, so that stuff is going on. And then a couple of the stories that are most sort of ugh, in the book are when you go out into public for the first time. And can you tell us, you go one day to a drugstore and it's one of the earlier, one of your oh. early outings. And, um, and because people don't realize you've had a stroke. Right. And just like today, people don't realize, but even then, just if you walk into the drugstore, they don't look at you. They, they didn't know that you had had a stroke. So you go up to get some medicine or something. And I'm standing in line. And what happens? And the pharmacist asked me, is that Anne with an E? And I didn't know. And she said, well, don't you know how to spell your own name? Right. And I said, well, I've just had a stroke. Now, when I, at that point when I talked, I would have been stuttering at, and my speech would have been, you know, would compromised. Have compro or, right. Compromised. But right. yeah. And so how, how does that, I mean, you must feel horrible and angry. What, what are you feeling and how do you deal with that? Because the other thing is you can't really express your feelings because you don't have, at this point, your speech isn't working. So how do you... Oh, I've got lots of internal uh, <laughs> words <laughs> right, right. for that. Right. Um, you, you get really angry. Yeah. You get really angry and you try, you know, it's, it's very, you know, it's, it was important to me. And I believe my sister was still there at the time and my sister was this wonderful help in in terms of keeping calm mm -hmm. she's so different than i am she's calm like my dad was uh -huh. and um, it was just you know you just have to keep calm and for me it was keep the you know the eye on the prize you know the prize is to get better um i think the only way i did it was to just not admit or accept that I wouldn't get back to where I was. Yeah, yeah. And so the, 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 the job was to get back where I was, and this is what I was going to have to do to do it. Right. Did they teach you any, in, in therapy, did mm -hmm. they teach you any strategies for, because it's different to say, okay, I'm healthy, knock on wood, um, and so when I get stressed as a more or less hopefully healthy person, mm -hmm. I can go meditate, I can breathe, I can do different things to mitigate mm -hmm. um but i but a lot of that is expression and you your expression is compromised did they teach you in therapy any sort of tactics for dealing with those sort of situations or was that you just had to kind of figure that part out on your own um with my good friends i invited them some people don't like this it, yeah it's it's very individual some people don't like it when people f jump in to finish your sentences they yes. want to you know be given the time I wanted help. So, you know, when I was um, uh, Looking fishing for words, for words right, exactly, right, right. I wanted people to jump in and help, and they yeah, did. Yeah. Um, so I did see a therapist to, you know, and we talked, we did some hypnosis, and we, you know, we uh -huh. talked about 
Um, that was not part of the hospital. You know, it wasn't part of the insurance or the normal therapy. Right. Yeah. But I, I did see somebody to, you know, kind of work out, you know, how somebody who is a type A goes from a type A do it all to, you know, type, you know, what X right do not much of anything you don't know how to spell your name right right, right. and you're in public right yeah. and you're in public right um so yeah, yeah, yeah i mean i just kept chugging along chugging along so another another aspect to the identity and sort of the how you see yourself aspect of this whole experience is is the age related part and what i mean by that is you're only 48 when this happens so again you're relatively young but um we, and I say we, I think the general public, myself included, normally associate stroke with older people. Yes. And, and I don't, seniors, or I, I don't even know what age, but just quote unquote older. And you're 48, and part of the reason that you initially thought this can't be happening to me is because of your age. So, and then you go into a doctor's office, one of your doctors, and you look up, and he has, I think it was a he, he or she has a certificate of geriatric medicine. Right. And so you think to yourself, oh, great, I'm the, this is a quote from your book, I'm the first in my crowd to have my very own old age doctor. Um, but then you actually learn, though, and I think this is really important, which is one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up, that stroke is not just a geriatric disease. Can you just comment no, on that? No, it's not. Yeah. It is absolutely not. Um, if you look at, you know, the, the numbers, yes, many people are older but there are many causes for stroke, and I mean, it's all, I don't have the, the statistics, but, you know, it's all over the map, and there are many, many people in there, well, there's some kids who have strokes, but there's many, you know, teenagers and many young people who have strokes. Yeah. And um, there are many of the risk factors for strokes that are not the normal ones. I don't know. Is this the place you want to talk about this? Throw them out there. Okay. Um, the risk factors for stroke that you hear about all the time, um, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, um, smoking. overweight, smoking, yep. those are the big risk factors. And they're, you know, but there are risk factors that many of them affect women that are not many people know about. Yeah. For example, migraines. Women, or well, people who suffer migraines with aura, the kind of migraines where you have the... the uh, you see lights or... Yeah, yeah, yeah right. The, the lights, 10 times more likely to really? have a stroke. Oh, wow. 10 times. That's pretty significant. Um, autoimmune diseases are a risk in and of themselves are a risk factor for stroke. Mm -hmm. um, and autoimmune diseases include things like lupus. And that like, we're going to talk about in a little bit. And, yeah. But um, other things that are risk factors, um, taking birth control pills. Mm -hmm. And risk factors multiply, they don't add. Right. So if you are somebody who has migraines with aura, then you know it doesn't mean that you're you're doomed to have a stroke, but you you better think twice. Pay about, more attention. Uh, you, take yeah, pay Getting attention checked. and and reducing your other risk factors. Right. And I had several of those and didn't know it. Right. And we're going to talk more about that in right. just a second too. So, so that is helpful. Some of the risk factors. Um, 
so I just have one last question though related to the sort of identity and the mm -hmm. sense of self that, that comes from this sort of experience. So playing with the dolls, which you were just like, hell no, I'm not doing that. But then you realized you needed to if you wanted to dress yourself. Right. Uh, the public interactions where you had to swallow your pride and just kind of deal with those because there were a couple others, obviously, that, right. that you describe in the book. The age-related stuff. Um, does that change your understanding of what defines who you are and your sense of self? Was there any sort of change that came as a result of that, of those experiences and kind of how you define who you are and see yourself? Oh, yes. Yeah. But I don't think it had to do so much with dressing you know i still can't do buttons yeah i still can't do buttons certain things um but i'm not sure that i even remember that i can even get in the head of the person i was before uh -huh. because so much of of how i defined myself had to change right right and i think um getting into writing helped a lot Right. And so that sort of maybe to put words into your mouth, but sort of took over certain areas where whereas before it was career, you Absolutely. discovered reading or writing rather. And yeah. And so you sort of reinvented yourself I, in a lot I, of ways. I, right? Absolutely. Right. I, I, I reinvented myself. And in fact, um, I had had this long term career plan that I would do the corporate thing and then I would do consulting and then maybe I would do some writing and I, d I didn't imagine that it would be like this but yeah, I yeah. had always loved to write and it had uh, you know had thought maybe I would get back to doing it more seriously and of course you know these circumstances are quite different but yeah. I just got attacked by a, a bug uh -oh. sorry that's what that was <laughs> it's on my keyboard now okay uh, let's change gears a little bit so that's some of the kind of the, the immediate stroke related stuff, the therapy, the sense of self, all those different ramifications. But then uh, I don't know exactly. I don't remember the timing off the top of my head and I don't have it in my notes. But you end up getting a couple more diagnoses as they're trying to figure out exactly what caused this stroke. One of them was you you learned that you have um, you've inherited a genetic marker called factor five Leiden. Right. Uh, which puts you at a predisposition to forming blood clots. So that was part of it. But then you also get. Um, something that you just touched on a little bit and want to talk a little bit more about, which is you realize you have an autoimmune disorder. Right. And that, that was a big part of it. Can you tell us about what that was and just a little bit about, about the disorder? It is, it, it's not just part of it. It's the big actor. Mm -hmm. It's the big thing. It's what caused the stroke. And it's the biggest thing that I deal with today. It's an autoimmune disease and it is unpronounceable something i had <laughs> never heard of yeah it's called anti-phospholipid syndrome and she has the mug the for those who are who are listening not watching what? she has a mug yep yep <laughs> uh really lupus is easy that's an easy but, one but anti-phospholipid syndrome it's a mouthful it's a mouthful yep and it it is all autoimmune or most autoimmune diseases are uh, in and of themselves a risk factor for stroke, but this actually causes blood clots. Right. This, uh, in this disease, it makes antibodies that, that it's so complicated, but basically it messes with the, the, the clotting cascade and it makes your blood want to clot right. when it shouldn't. Right. 
and it, it can be clots anywhere. It can cause miscarriages, which I had in my 20s, and which, you know, my doctors, when I was diagnosed with this um, after the stroke, the um, doctor, um, uh, the neurologist at the hospital sent me, uh, did a bunch of blood tests, sent me to a hematologist, and he did this long, 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 long history of, you know, practically everything I'd ever had. Right. And he pieced it together that I'd probably had this since the, since my 20s. Right. And it had just gone undiagnosed. And, and it had gone un- undiagnosed. I just want to say something really, because this is, this is from the book. And, and I don't want to say I loved this because it was very bad news, but I like how you described it. So the, the doctor comes back and says, um, your antibodies for this condition are very high. A reading over 10 is considered significant. Yours are over 100. And you say, how much over? And they say, the doctor says, we don't know. The scale stops at 100. So you were just completely off the charts. Right. And that's, again, when you knew there's really something very serious going on here. Uh, I don't know if you said this, but APS, the nickname, just to give people a really good idea, is sticky blood. Sticky blood. So that just kind of gives people a really good image. Um, and again, like you said, it causes the blood clot when it shouldn't. Uh, one thing I'd like to say, though, just for, again, for people who don't know, um, autoimmune disease. What is autoimmune disease? Because you've mentioned lupus. Um, there are a whole bunch. There are. Um, so can you just give us a little bit of context for what autoimmune disease is? Right. The general. Basically, it's when the body gets confused. The body makes antibodies, white blood cells, to fight off invaders. When you get a when you get a cold, right. or if you get injured, you get cut. The immune system goes to work to fix it. Right. Um, the immune system gets confused, and it starts attacking the self. Right. And depending on the disease, it is. You know, if it's diabetes or, you know, in, in my case, it's the, the APS, clotting. Yeah, yeah, it's the clotting cascade. Um, there's autoimmune thyroid disease. In fact, it may, some, some people think that there may be um, an overarching disease autoimmunity like cancer. Right. That's really what we might be talking, talking about. Talking about, right. and there's many kinds of cancer. Well, there's many kinds of autoimmunity. Right, because you say there are, in your book, you say there are at least 80, uh, no, sorry, Wikipedia said this, there are at least 80 types of that, autoimmune disease. That sounds disease. right. 80, yeah. so that's off the chart. So again, that suggests, well, maybe autoimmunity is just the thing like cancer. Right. But uh, obviously, they're still trying to figure this out. Uh, and it said also on Wikipedia, it says the cause is generally unknown for, for right. most of these things, or at least a lot of these things. Um, sometimes it runs, lupus, for example, runs in families, but some certain cases triggered by infections, other environmental factors. So there's just a lot that's not known about, one, about autoimmunity. One thing they, they do think is that autoimmunity itself can run in families, but not necessarily the 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 same disease mm, so i know my grandmother had an autoimmune disease and my one of my aunts had a different autoimmune disease my mother did not interesting well and that also brings up a good point that i got again oh no, this one this one is from your book 75 to 80 percent of autoimmune patients are women yes which is a pretty astonishing fact it that's is. a that's a really significant uh percentage obviously and and they're looking um at harm you know the hormonal um uh relationship they they really don't know 
what causes it. But obviously, right. with a, with it skewed that way, they're they're looking at it. Right. Can you tell us a little bit? Because you you just said that for you, this is kind of the big thing today. It's the big thing. Tell us a little bit more about why it's the big thing today versus. Well, well, not even versus the stroke, but just why it's the big thing it's today. The, it's the yeah. big thing. I think it's the biggest, um, the biggest threat to my health because the stroke is over and done with. I'm living with the deficits, but it's the disease that threatens more strokes or more blood clots. I could have blood clots anywhere, and it's the fact that I have the disease and the, the guard against uh, more clots is taking really pretty high levels of blood thinner. Mm -hmm. um, I take warfarin or which is the um, Coumadin. Yep. And so that's, that can be pretty hard to manage and you're always at risk yep. when you take, when you take Coumadin. Right. And there, you know, there's, there's other things that go into an autoimmune disease. There's terrible, you know, there's flares of, of, um, you know, fatigue and uh, aches and pains. And you just, you know, it's like you just want to curl up in a ball and curl in a, hide in a ball yeah. and, you know, hide under the covers. And yeah. you said in the book, I'm going to quote you again here. You say, quote, over my subsequent years as an APS patient, I learned about autoimmune disease the hard way, <clears throat> excuse me, by getting sick for no good reason, falling prey to esoteric infections and mysterious skin outbreaks sliding into spells of lethargy and exhaustion that looked so much like laziness, it was maddening. So, of course, again, that's going back to this isn't me. I don't want people to think this about me. But really, this isn't about you being lazy at all. This is about you having a, a, an autoimmune situation and doing the best you can to, to manage it, right? Um, but I want to go back to something you said. We talked a little bit about the actual APS diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And... Initially, you said, again, I'm going to quote you, I was in shock. How could I possibly have a condition serious enough to cause a stroke without any symptoms? And what right. we just got done saying was, it turns out you had the symptoms, but you didn't realize. Right. And you even, one thing we haven't talked about yet is you were on birth control. Right. And you were having symptoms way, way before the stroke. And you went to your doctor, you discussed the symptoms, and they said, don't worry about it. Keep, keep on the birth control. You're fine. Well, in reality, those were symptoms related to the stroke that was going to happen later on. So... Um, what, what can you tell us about? So what I, when I was reading that, I was thinking, okay, um, because then, then there's something else that happens in the emergency room. There was a drug they could have given you to right. stop the clot, but it looked as if you were getting better. So they didn't give it to you because it was a really serious drug. They don't want to give you unless it's right. absolutely necessary. Right. TPA. TPA. Um, so how much of this is there were symptoms we should have been able to figure it out versus some, there are just so many different things going on out there. It's not an exact science. And, you know, if I'm listening to today's show, how would I say, okay, there are certain things I need to be, I have, for example, we just talked about the migraine with the, with the lights or whatever. I need to go maybe check up, um, do whatever it is to, to make sure I'm not at risk for a stroke. Mm -hmm. But then so much of this, you do go to the doctor and they say, actually, you're fine. Where's, where's the line? It's not an exact science, but you want to be on guard so how do you navigate that? Well, there were some things happening in the months before the stroke that I didn't go to the doctor uh, for. Okay. Uh -huh. That I, they were they were strange. But you know, I'm busy. I'm feeling you know pretty good. There were things that were very odd, like rhyming mistakes. Mm -hmm. I was typing, and in rather than just typos, I write would be 
be written as bright or uh, I, I forget I have several of them in the book and I only found out later in therapy that rhyming mistakes are a form of in my Indicators. case yeah in, in my case it was actually from how bad it was when I got up to rhyming mistakes that was getting better and it was on the way up but it was on that spectrum yeah and I was forgetting um you know movies that we we you know bringing home movies that we'd seen the week week before right I, I was Jack buying was... books that I just bought and you know that I just bought the week before right and I didn't I didn't go to a doctor for that. So that's maybe the lesson here yeah. is that when things are happening that really are off, not to be so dismissive. Right. Ben, and it's easy and we all do it. I certainly right. do it. And I'm not going to go to the doctor unless it's like, OK, something really clear is happening here. And that's the wrong thing to do. Right. We need to be paying more attention. That sounds like that's kind of the lesson. Right. And it still is an exact science. I mean, there still are things you might have certain symptoms and they might not figure it out, but they might figure it out right. and you need to go in, in case. And, and right? those early things that I went to the doctor for, see, APS was um, identified by by Dr. Hughes in 1983. And it was, I mean, it, it's been very new. And so some of the stuff that was going on with me was right around that time. I mean, it, it maybe a little later, but the, the word hadn't gotten out. So it right. just kind of predated all of this. Right. Okay. So, so much more to cover, but let's, let's move ahead to, uh, to the recovery part of things. And, and, and I mean, sort of beyond therapy, even though that's mm -hmm. obviously part of it, but just, I just want to throw out some, some more statistics because, um, because they're really relevant. So I'll read them and then we'll talk about them. So the first thing, and this is in your book, but it's from another book. It's from a book called Stroke Recovery Book, which is a great title. Um, it really gets to the point of what the book's about. Okay, so you said, you saw in this book, quote, in the first year immediately following stroke, there's a 10 to 18% risk of having a second stroke. The risk continues to grow at about 10% each following year. Most people expect to live about eight years after a first stroke, a matter of fact rendering of my future. Okay. And then later you're reading some articles. I don't remember off the top of my head what these articles were, but quote, these articles seem to be saying there was a 70% chance I'd have another stroke. I'd die again within eight years. So thank God that statistic obviously did not hold true. And I'm reading these statistics having, you know, my mom had leukemia and I hated hearing the statistics then about the prognosis and things. Because everybody's different. So don't those sorts of statistics, can't they do more harm than good? I mean, is there, do they serve a purpose? What, what are your thoughts? Because if I have something like this, I don't want to read that it's statistically likely I'm going to die within eight years. Or is that helpful because it puts things into perspective? What were you thinking, I guess, is really my question when you're reading that sort of stuff. I, I mentioned that I went to a therapist. Yeah. And one day I went to her and I said, I don't know what to do. I'm reading all this stuff and it's like, you know, I feel like I ought to be just like planning my, my goodbye. Will, like, I, right, I don't, I right. don't know if I need to be planning my goodbyes or spending my time getting out there and living. And she said, do both. Right. Right. And so I decided to do both. And, and it was an, it was a, a good, a, a good, um, call for me to, pay attention to some of the friends that, you know, we were busy with our careers. Now, it was a while before I was well enough to do this, but, you know, I paid attention to making time to go see my friends, um, 
I'd, I'd always made time to see my family. I, yeah. I was good about that. But to make time for my friends, to, you know, make time for travel, to, you know, do the things I wanted to do. So in your case, even though it was daunting and uncomfortable, obviously, to read, it helped you to prioritize and get things in perspective. Yeah, and yeah. I like a good challenge. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I can do better than that. Oh, God. Yeah, wow. And <laughs> I can do better than that. That's a challenge. That's definitely a challenge. But you just, you just touched on friends, which is a perfect segue. Yeah. It's as if you were reading my notes here, because that was my next question. Again, in the spirit, or not in the spirit, but it, well, I guess it is in the spirit of the recovery, but in the context of recovery, mm-hmm. um, you know, your friends and family were obviously key to that. Yes, they And were. do you remember what you cite as the most important thing they did for you? In your book, this is kind of a quiz, but I really liked. Ooh. And if not, I'm going to prompt you on this one. Well, I I'm not sure what I. Yeah, I what would you say now? And then I'll tell you what you said in the book, and we'll see if it's the same. Because I'm curious. Because I, I really liked what you said in the book. Um. I don't. Well, what what would, what would you say? Just without forgetting about the book, because now I, I'm getting too specific. How did your friends help you? How, how were they key? And your aunt, friends and family. I'm well, I, th- them I think that the, 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 the best thing they did was they let me be me. That's and they it. accepted me f- That's it. for me. Yeah. Yeah. You said the most important thing they all did was that they accepted me as I was. Right. Which, of course, again, identity, sense of self, that's your fear. I'm not who I used to be. Are they going to see me as, as right. that person I, I used to be and really am on the inside? But then you also said, um, quote, I never felt they thought less of me. Right. Which to me seems so important as well. You know, they're not treating you as a quote unquote invalid or they're not there. This is Anne and she's going through this situation and she's Anne and they're still seeing you that way, relating to you that way. And that's got to be key to maintaining your self-esteem and wanting to keep going. And um, so, yeah, I just liked how you how you call that out in your book. You know, I'll have to say one thing yeah. about Jack. Yeah, your husband. My husband. Right. He didn't give me too much quarter on it. You know, he wanted to just go and do. Keep on going. Keep on going. Keep yeah. on doing. Yeah. And sometimes I get mad about it. Like, wow, you know. But I, I do think in a lot of ways that helped me. Uh-huh. You know, it, it helped me not not fall into um feeling like uh, sorry for yourself or or giving up or you know feel feeling like a a a patient you know i don't want to feel like a patient right what about um another question that i that you know you said and we talked briefly a second ago about math so again quoting the first problem you you had to do some math to get your brain going Mm -hmm. again obviously the first problem this is a quote the first problem read three plus four I stared at the page and finally resorted to counting on my hand or my fingers. Not long ago, I'd managed million dollar budgets. Now I couldn't even count to seven. Did I really believe that elementary school exercises could mend my Humpty Dumpty brain? Yes, I did. I had to believe it. So my question for you is um, how important was faith in recovery? And there are lots of different types of faith. But in that in that situation, obviously, you realized you had to have faith in yourself. But how important was faith in your recovery? It was huge. Yep. I really thought for a whole year that I was going to get it all back. Yep. I absolutely thought I was going to go back to work doing what I did. Mm-hmm. And I just put my head down and went for it. And, and it, it turned out I couldn't. Yep. But I... I 
I had I, I had faith in myself that and I think that allowed me to get a lot more back than I might have otherwise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, and so you didn't go back to work like you said, but you did go back to traveling. I did. And uh, she says with a big smile, as indeed she should say with a big smile. Uh, do you remember the uh, when the, so the first, I'm just going to tell you, so the first trip post-stroke was December 2002, and that was 11 months after. Right. So... Jack, again, is kind of keeping you moving forward. Mm-hmm. Were you ready at 11 months after? Seems pretty soon. How were you feeling when he said, um, I'm ready to get you back on a plane again? How did, how did you feel? Were you ready? Were you trepidation? How, oh, how I had th- pre- trepidations. I yeah. always have trepidations, you know? Yeah. I have trepidations about climbing <laughs> mountains, about, uh, Good. you, you know. probably should, yeah. A lot of things. Yeah, but... Um, and it's that whole thing about uh, courage isn't not having fear. It's facing the fears, right? So you had the trepidation. He says, we're going to go. And where were you guys going to go? Where was your was first it trip? China, it was China. Shanghai. Shanghai. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and so, you, so you did it. And how, how did the trip go? I mean, was it? It was it great. Yeah. I loved Shanghai. Yeah. I absolutely loved Shanghai. Yeah. And we went to Suzhou and Hangzhou and we went to some crazy mountain. Isn't that the one that we went to some mountain that <laughs> where we took a, uh, a cable car up. Okay. And then there was some weird little, like little cars that you jump in these little cars to go down. <laughs> and Jack said, oh, let's do it. And it's like, no, no, I can't do that. Like, I'll get hurt. You know, I'm taking Kumita and blah, blah, blah. Oh, you know, don't be a whoosh, get in, let's do it. And right. I have this photograph of myself, you know, in that thing waving. And, you know, once, once I decided to do it, it's like, oh, heck, let's just do it. Right. And that was it. Okay, I, I, I'm going to do it. So, but did you have to change things to, to, to travel? Were there things, ways you had to travel differently or did you just do it? Um, I, I, yes, there are some ways I have to travel differently. Um, Blood thinners are a big deal. Yeah. And I have to pay a lot of attention. I have to get my blood checked. I have to... Before you be go. Sure I, well, yeah. And but I even have, just ongoing, you have to... Right. But I have to be, be sure, especially if it's going to be overseas, that things are really, really steady before I go. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, it's not so much of a problem anymore, but I have to be sure that I've got seatbelts in any anything that I'm, you know, any car. And mm-hmm. some parts of the world, that's, you know. Not a given. It's not a given. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just, you know, I have to, I have to maybe moderate my activities a little bit. A little bit. So on one of the trips, though, um, so you decide just to do it. And yes, you have some fears, but you, you don't want to stay at home. And Jack's going and he's saying, you're coming with me. And so you do it. But on one of your trips, one of your worst fears does come true. What happened in Crete? Oh, yeah. In Crete. Um, I had a TIA. Which is a mild uh, stroke. A, a, yeah. A mild mini, mini, mini stroke. stroke. Right. We think. I mean, I didn't go to the hospital or anything, but I yeah. was sitting there. M- most romantic place most romantic dinner sitting there um you know with the mediterranean the the mediterranean and the 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 music going the greek music going and all of a sudden you know my my hand is feeling numb and 
And I just sat, you know, we just sat there. I told Jack and he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, let's just sit here. And um, my words were a little bit slurry. Um, But then we sat and it passed and it was scary. And we just... You continued on. We continued on. And you didn't cut your trip short. You just, Mm -hmm. yeah. And so you said in the book, quote, about that experience, I could have taken that TIA as a signal to stay home in the future. But I decided that's not how I want to live. I took it instead as a signal to go now while I still can. So rather than deterring you, again, in this roundabout way, it sort of encouraged you. Right. Because it's just this reminder, you can't take this for granted. You do have your health. And so keep on going. That's right. Right. And that's um, that's inspiring but, and, and brave. And you know what? I've been doing this for 16 years now and with really, I mean, there have been, there have been, you know, a couple of ther- scary things. I've had some, some bleeding accidents, yeah, but nothing awful. And look at all the stuff I've done that I wouldn't have done if I, if I'd stayed home because right. I was too scared. Right. Well, it reminds me, and I think you talked, you do talk about this in your book. It reminds me of, you know, when there are, when there's terrorist things that happen and people say, and you know, you're getting ready to go away someplace. And I've had this happen to me multiple times. You've had this happen. People say, you know, well, X just happened. Aren't you afraid to go, you know, because shouldn't you stay at home? And it's that whole thing of, well, first of all, it already happened. Secondly, we can't live in fear. I'm not going to let them win. Right. And the (laughs) other thing I always say, and I've said this on the show a couple of times before is the only place I've ever been held up at gunpoint is here in San Francisco. (laughs) Right. By the way, you know, and um, so, yeah, so, so I think that's great. So we're running out of time here, um, and this is kind of, we're kind of coming to this point anyway, but where are you today? And we kind of, like I said, you just said you've been doing this for 16 years. You're still doing the traveling, but how would you kind of summarize where where you are today? Well, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good, although awesome. I, I, you know, there, there are times I had a terrible, terrible about in January where I was very sick with the autoimmune with stuff. the with the yeah the autoimmune stuff and and that really is more of an issue for me than the actual stroke right. today right um but um I kind of use writing to write my way out of it you know I I I was working on something and um I wrote my way out of it put it into a story I was writing that ended up t- touching some people and you know that was just a, a really great um that was a, a really great experience for me right and won won an award um and i'm kind of segueing because we have a, a it's going to be in a book that's right. coming out, out throw in it de- out in de- do the plug yeah it's going <laughs> to be coming out in december it's called wandering in cuba and it's one of the wanderings uh um, series. series yeah. Oops, I don't have that. Um, it's going to be December third. It's going to be the uh, publication. Uh, the date. Pub- publication gate, and we're going to have a uh, launch at Book Passage oh, in that sounds familiar. Okay, all right, that sounds familiar, and that's in December. December, December third. December third. Okay, well, I will be at the Book Passage Cordovera December seventh. 
Okay. So just since we're doing plugs, I didn't plug that one at the beginning. But yes, I will be at the Book Passage, Corte Madeira, on the 7th with Erin Byrne. And we're going to be talking all about Morocco. So she has her Morocco anthology. You're doing your Cuba anthology with Linda, I right. think, right? And, and I'll be talking about my Morocco book with her anthology. So our two books. And coming up, I'm going to Morocco with Deep oh. Travel oh, yes. Workshops, okay. with, um, <laughs> which was the, the prize that I won from the Book Passage. Um, oh, you, you won the trip with them. I, I won oh, the trip. Oh, nice. And nice. So, I didn't realize you won the trip for that. And I have your, oh. your book from Morocco. Oh, you have my book. Of course. Oh, thank you. And so I'm so excited. So All that's right. one of the things I'm going to do next year. Okay. I love it. This was not intended to be a plug fest. This just happened accidentally, but it's all good stuff. All right. And we'll talk right. about Morocco when we're done here, but we do need to wrap up, but I want to read, I just asked you where you were today and you, and you, and you told us, but I want to read, um, I, there are several quotes. I have five quotes about where you are today, but I'm just going to read this, this, this one in the interest of time. Cause I think it's a great one quote. I am not the woman I used to, and this is, this might be the very end. This is really close to the end of your book. You it say, is. quote, I am not the woman I used to be. Again, that whole thing we were talking about a lot about identity and self, sense of self. I'm not the woman I used to be, and this is not the life I imagined for myself. For those of us unlucky enough to fall in Stroke's path, the only silver lining I can see is the one we make for ourselves. And I just got chills reading that because, again, that, and that's, that's quite a silver lining. And I think that, that if there's any message people take from this book, and there are so many messages, you just talked about this other story touching people. This memoir is going to touch a lot of people and inspire a lot of people to make that silver lining for themselves. Oh, thank you. So, so thank you. So I, I love that line, and I think that that is, I think you just sum up so much with that line. In closing, what is the most important thing you would just kind of leave with people about stroke? And I know that's a huge question, but just if there's just one sort of message that you can convey, and you probably already have conveyed it, but in closing, is it is it make sure you're getting checkups? Is it is there one thing that you would sort of emphasize in closing? Well, it's got to be to prevent, prevent, prevent. You do not want to stroke. Listen, listen to what is said about it. And if you're unlucky enough to have a stroke, just believe in yourself and really work work on it and be open to creating a different you if you if you can't get the old you back be open um, work hard and be open to uh, embracing what you can do all right I think that's a great way to end I'm just going to throw out a couple organizations here National Stroke Association stroke.org American Stroke Association, which is associated with the American Heart Association, which right. is strokeassociation.org. Those are the main two I just found online. Are there any others, or are those kind of the main ones well, that you and, would mention? Um, Antiphospholipid syndrome, oh, yeah, APS yes. Foundation of America. Okay, yep, for the um, for the autoimmune, the right. APS one. And, and, and the Autoimmune Dis Association. Okay, and then I want to throw out your links for you. Uh, you. Again, junglepants.com, as I mentioned, and that's that's mostly about your travels. Right. And then ansigmund.com is more about this kind of stuff we've been talking about right. today and still some travel, but that's right. sort of how it sounds like they're, they're broken up. And thank you so much for being here today. This is great. Well, thank you for having me. It's all been right. fun. All right, it has been. Thank you. All right, that's all for today. Unfortunately, I could keep talking with Anne for much longer, but alas, we must wrap things up. So next week, my guest is me. Like I said, I'll be doing a special episode dedicated to my new book, Porcelain Travels. 
Thanks again to Anne, author of the forthcoming memoir, Scrambling Back. And last but certainly not least, thank you for listening and watching. I really appreciate it. If you like the show, please share on social media, subscribe, rate, and review. It's the only way the word gets out, and I really appreciate it. For more about me, my website is matthewfelix.com, and links to my social media books, including my new one out, 1111, podcasts, and all the rest can be found there. If you have any comments, ideas for the show, or just want to say hello, you can email me at felixonair at matthewfelix.com. Thank you again for watching and listening, and have a great week.